Secret Unplugged opens the door to a world of people transforming business. They share their dreams, their experiences, and what they would never give up. I'm so glad to have Amy Edmondson here with me from Boston. Welcome to my podcast, Amy. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Uh, Amy Edmondson is a professor of leadership and management at the Harvard Business School, uh, studying human interactions that lead to creation of successful companies for the betterment of society. She's been recognized by the Thinkers 50 Global Ranking of Management Thinkers since 2011 and has received numerous top rankings and awards. She studies teaming, psychological safety, and organizational learning. So, Amy, uh, I was thinking to kick off with, with this little question of mine, uh, actually relating to a quote um, that they say Picasso once said, that everything you can imagine is real. Do, do you believe that? I think it's a useful mindset. And I would like to imagine a world um, that is far more equitable and compassionate and living within its uh, ecological um, capacity. And yet uh, that's not real. Amy, you, you've studied and practiced transformational change in uh, a lot of big companies for, for decades. Um, what is the most important like truth that you could you know share, you know, whether it is the, the, the ugly part or the beautiful or both actually? <laughs> Oh, that's interesting. I, I I went right to the beautiful first in my mind. And I, I think that, uh, but the beautiful isn't easy. Uh, and I would say, to me, the first word that comes to mind is transparency. When leaders, especially, but people in, in, throughout an organization decide it's possible to be honest with each other about what's true, about what they hope Uh, to create and about how they don't really know the path to get there. That is um, a very powerful and foundational part of getting going on, on transformational change. I mean, I suppose the, the ugly is that it's really hard um, and rare. Um, and, and so when, when, when we're pushed to cite You know, I think often people want to hear a, a long list of, of, of success stories, and that's, that's not always easy to produce. And, and a lot of it, this, I guess, it's also connected to the fact that, that the patience is, I mean, important change somehow. It requires a lot of consistency and, and time, and, and, right? Just consistency again and again and again, um, you know, echoing the the messages um, because no communication. I think every everybody I've studied will will end up in the same place. They'll say you have to communicate so much more than you think is necessary. Almost like when you when you get bored of, of your messages, right. when, when, when you're by the time you're bored, that's probably when you're just getting started when people are just starting to to hear it and and believe it there is a strong link between um, the company's performance and the, this climate of psychological safety uh, that place where where people are really comfortable uh, expressing and then like being 
themselves. And and you've written a whole book around this in, in the fearless organization. But why, why don't like all companies work on creating this psychological safety? Is it awareness or is it like, how do we do it? Or both? I think it's both. Um, and the third thing, which is that it's hard. And truthfully, doing this requires relinquishing the old-fashioned kind of power, right? If, if you're asking people to be honest and you're um, and open and candid and, and sort of willing to really get into it and tell the truth and debate and figure out a path forward that's new, um, you, are, you must accept the fact that you don't have all of the answers and you don't have all of the power um, that one that, that you might have imagined you have the power to just command outcomes that you want the whole notion you know the notion of of KPIs and results orientation and various things um, have built in a very deep assumption that actually we know and people should know how to get the results that we dearly want well that's just not always the case I mean, more often than not, in, in today's world, we don't know how to get the result we want. We can only experiment and, and, and through trial and error and teamwork approach the result that we dearly want. There are some data, um, certainly, that show a relationship, and there's lots of qualitative data showing a strong relationship between organizational performance and the culture of psychological safety. However, the bulk of the data, you know, mo most of the data capture teams. They don't capture organizations because psychological safety nearly always varies substantially across groups within an organization. So where we have the most robust performance data is at the team level. We have, we have evidence from studies and from meta-analyses of those studies um, that, that are pretty show a pretty powerful relationship between psychological safety in a team and performance in that team. And then organizations perform well when their teams perform well, but it's a, you know, it's a rare thing that you've got uh, all of your teams, you know, in that same space. Hmm. Which, which I guess is an expression of, of this kind of process of constant change with people, within people, uh, among people, between people. Going back to you, Amy, what would you say is like really, really your, your, your passion? That thing that you're, you know, even willing to sacrifice a lot of things well, for. It's, 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 this will sound trite, but my passion is um, to, in some small way, contribute to making a better world. And that, for me, that has been relatively limited to making a better workplace. The workplace matters, um, primarily because that's where so many people spend so much of their time. And I think they, um, I think two things. One, I think they deserve to have the opportunity to, to experience meaningful work uh, with colleagues and believe that, and in fact, have it be true that that work they do contributes Uh, to society in some way. And, and secondarily, I think that work really can and must uh, contribute to society in some way if we collectively 
are going to keep trying to make a world that works uh, for for all. And and for you, looking back uh, at your life, are there any particular like moments or transmissional points that that you see that, that have really influenced you the most? Well, one uh, obvious one for me was when I was in uh, in college and university, and I had the chance to hear Buckminster Fuller speak at the school down the road and uh, MIT. And um, it was, um, I was maybe 19 years old and it was a, just an absolutely powerful moment of recognition. His message was about creating a better world and it was about the sort of the role of human beings on planet earth being about problem solving and, and problem solving uh, relative to what it takes to to house and feed and and live meaningful lives, and that there's no, you know, that's why we're here, and each of us has unique gifts and and desires and passions, as you put it, and we're here to use those um, to help each other and and help create something uh, that works for all, and that was just for me, it was a reorientation. I suppose beyond mere achievement, you know, there's there's obviously ways, you know, you can think about work as a job, you can think about work as uh, a career, or you can think about work as a calling or an opportunity to do something that matters. And I think as you move up that progression from job to career to calling, you uh, feel more in, engaged and passionate about what you do. And I, I, re- I do recognize that's not a, that's perhaps a luxury. It can be seen as a luxury for many, but I don't think it's completely associated with, you know, privilege. It, it, every, I think every, every job ought to have a way and does have a way of, of reconsidering it as uh, in terms of what it contributes. And what do you think, um, is often the reason why people like, have difficulty even later on in life still to figure out what is the purpose with with me and my job, so to say. Well, I think there's, there are an enormous number of messages, cultural messages that run against that idea. Right? So this, there, we are bombarded by cultural messages that reinforce materialism as 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 the goal, right? As, as the reason and, and money, I think more than anything, the, her culture sends us the message in a thousand ways uh, routinely that the person with the most money is the most important and, and money um, is thought to buy happiness is thought to buy, uh, you know, control and power. And of course in, in our society, that's, that's often the case. And so, it's easy to be drawn into a belief that that's all that matters. And that's a unidimensional criterion uh, that is very much um, at odds with a deeper question of who am I and why am I here? Yeah, exactly. Because I I know a lot of people, I'm sure you know too, that, I mean, if you look at them from the outside, they're going to, you know, they, they have all the reasons to be really, really grateful and happy. Yeah. And still you're there with your question, you know, like, is this it? Mm-hmm. Right? But in terms of businesses and companies, um, what long-term solutions do you believe in? 
Like, is there one common denominator for all that should be there? Well, I, I suppose, and and this is not my expertise, but I think the answer is systems thinking. It's just, it's system dynamics. It's the recognition that we have linear mental models in our head where we believe rightly in cause and effect, but we fail to understand feedback loops, and and that that simple way of thinking about phenomena, whether in companies or more broadly in the world, gets us in all sorts of trouble because we fail to account for downstream effects and feedback effects. And, and, and so the most important thing for today's organizations, whether private, public sector, is to understand they are operating in a complex ecosystem. Now that's not linear. That's that's um, th there are very few levers that just predictably produce an outcome that you want. Um, they may even give you the illusion that they're predicting and are producing an outcome you want, and we're blind to the other unintended consequences of of those levers. And we're not educated very well that way. Right? We don't um, we don't do a good job in in most professional schools or or even elementary schools of teaching people to be systems thinkers. Yeah, we'd love to see some kind of a reset or at least a gradual one. But if you would assume that you literally have all doors open to you and all resources available, is there like anything in particular that you feel that you would immediately rush to go and innovate or, or change? You know, whether it's in the environment you are in or somewhere else? I mean, I, I, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, the education system, but that's awfully big. And it's not as if I have a blueprint for what it would look like, but it's not, it's not yet where it needs to be to prepare people, students, young people for operating in a complex interdependent world. Academics show something small and show it well. We rarely the people who are connecting all the dots. Um, and, and I think that's maybe part of the problem, but it's also something that can be remedied by teaming up with others. Yeah, sure. We can do so much more uh, together. But again, also in terms of I mean, education, I just had a simple example here the other day. Um, a friend of my son who is studying um, uh, at a university here in, in Milano, Bocconi, and they're like really having this elite way of, of, of kind of raising these students, like pushing them uh, to not cooperate, like to kind of compete from day one with each other. Uh, for example, that simple fact is is already kind of instilling the wrong kind of. Absolutely, yeah. In fact, that's partly where I uh, where I started. I mean, the the um, it's another taken for granted dimension of excellence in our society, which is you know that there's a winner and then everyone else is the loser, um, and that that the job the goal is to compete, and that's a, that's built into the corporate ethos as well. The job is to compete against your colleagues, um, you know, against the other players in the same marketplace. And it's not completely problematic, but it has unintended consequences that we then pretend we didn't help create. Is there any particular, like one piece of advice that you'd like to share to, to, to leaders? It starts with 
you know, set your sights high, right? Set, set your ambitions high for what's possible, for what, uh, what you might be able to do if you really put your minds to it and work together toward achieving it. And so it's aim high, and that will necessarily mean team up, right? So figure out how to do that well, how to team, how to quickly get up to speed with strangers, to work on things that matter, that are challenging. Expect failure along the way and learn fast from it. Yeah, that's that's so true. And this thing about failure is always uh, difficult because it depends who you are, how you, how you take that failure as, as a great lesson, as a, as a way of kind of correct, uh, or, or if, you, if it takes you down energetically, I mean. Right. And failure, all failure is not alike. I mean, there are, there are plenty of preventable failures that, um, you know, good, good means prevent them. Right? We don't, we don't want to wreak havoc in ways that were knowable in advance. Um, and there are an awful lot of other kinds of failures, call them intelligent failures, where they are the result of thoughtful experiments in new territory. And, and those kinds of failures, and yet we don't do a good job of dis- discriminating uh, between those categories. And so we don't do a good enough job of welcoming the discovery that's implied in the intelligent failure and organizing ourselves to do the very best job we can to avoid the preventable failures. And in terms of leadership, what, what kind of leadership do we need um, you know, to build the future that we actually wish to have? Humble, transparent, curious. We need leaders who are humble about the challenge that lies ahead. You know, have enough self-awareness and and understanding of who they are and what they can bring that they're not um, afraid to act in the face of uncertainty, but they recognize that that's what you're doing. You're acting in the face of uncertainty. And that, that requires... Uh, a certain kind of humility, and it requires um, a profound curiosity about what others bring and about what will happen next. Um, and I think it also requires a profound sense of empathy and compassion for what what others are up against and 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 why it matters. Mm. I find that uh, what I would call life experience is a, is the best asset as well, in the sense that. You know, to to relate to things, to, to understand all kinds of dimensions of life, then you can understand others and they can feel that whether you say it or not. It's true. It's true. And, and um, many people who have achieved positions of power or leadership had very few failures, very few life experiences that have taught them empathy. And, and so there can be a kind of um, arrogance and there can be a kind of um, failure to understand others' experiences that that is not effective in today's world. And and another um, and also uh, perspective that was shared uh, some months ago by Roberto Verganti, that you also know, and he says love leaders who are able to say uh, when they're in the midst of you know big change or insecurity un- and uncertainty in the world. To say, okay, so I don't know the answer to that question. Find out I, together, right? I write about that as well. It's it's um, the ability to say I don't know, which I argue is actually a very powerful stance. 
I mean, we instantly recognize that someone who is willing to say, I don't know, has the, has, is honest and has self-confidence, enough self-confidence to say that. It's the insecure who cannot say that. So what do you think is the most, most important thing for companies to focus on right now? It's a hard question because I don't believe in single things. But if, if I had to say a single thing, I would say the future because uh, that's our that's the most um, maybe that's the you know the root cause of many organizational dysfunctions is short termism is there there is um, when we're focused on getting something to happen in the short term we are by design neglecting the longer term and that's where true value exists is is you know true value creation over time. So finding ways, figuring out ways, tools, techniques to engage in long-termism, I think is probably the single most important thing. Yeah, that's a very good uh, expression, actually. Requiring us to pay attention to it, it, the impact on the environment and, and on society and various other things. Hmm. Um, a person who is actually an elder in the New York State that I spoke to recently, he said that one of the core values of, of, of that nation is really uh, the value of thinking uh, of the common good. And they think they're thinking seven generations ahead. And now they're down to maybe one or two generations, you know, looking at the world as it is now. And he said, this, this is just amazing that people, we all know about climate change, we all know about global warming and all of that. But eventually nobody feels that they can actually do something. And what they're doing is, is perceived as very little. So people are like hope, hoping that it will be resolved itself. Right? And that's the biggest danger in, in all of that. So this kind of super long-term-ism uh, would, would be um, a great guideline for, for the future. Yes. And, and my final question to you, Amy, is this one. What do you think the world needs most at this time? <laughs> There's the old song, Love, um, but it's not far off, is it? It's, um, we, have a, we appear to have a deficit um, of sincere caring about others. Um, so what's the opposite of selfishness? I guess generosity. We need generosity, generosity of spirit. So true. Fantastic. So, Amy, how, how was it to be on the podcast? <laughs> um, well, you know, it was different, which is good, um, because I, you ask such challenging questions, and I feel utterly inadequate in my answers. And that's okay. I don't, I don't mind that. I, I long to be a part of something larger, where, you know, the little bits that I know and that I know well can be connected with other people's little bits and, and then maybe there's more than the sum of the parts there and, and that would be very inspiring. Mm. <laughs> Great. And that's exactly how I also feel when I, when I talk to so many people around the world and I, it's like pieces of a certain puzzle being collected and when I look at all of it together as a cluster you know, or of roots or of pieces of a certain essence, then I can all, you know, see, see a big picture kind of evolving. And um, I'll definitely do my best in order to kind of curate that and, right. and, and present at a certain point as well. 
So thanks so much for your piece of the puzzle, <laughs> Amy. You're welcome. To find out more, uh, check out the links and show notes on corporateunplugged.com. And remember to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Share this episode with people you know would benefit from hearing Amy. Please rate and review this podcast if you enjoyed it. And thanks so, so much for listening. And until next time, live with purpose and remember to unplug. Ciao, Amy. <laughs>